Now, True Wealth, presented by Little John Financial Services. Here are David Little John and Katie Shook with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, all right, gang. It is go time here at the True Wealth Radio Show. I'm your host, David Little John, in the studio. Joining me is Katie Shook. And we have a very well-prepared show today, about as well-prepared as most of you listening as the end of the year has snuck up. So today I was looking at the calendar, and I'm aware it's the first of the month, right? Like, it comes around all the time. (laughs) But as I sat there and I went, it's December 1st. I can't help but look at it and literally have told myself... uh, Like, December. For some reason, every time I say it, I'm like, what? December? Like, I, you know, when you say... Oh, uh, I can't believe December 2020 snuck up, and yet all of us at the same time are saying 2020, the year I want behind us. You know, I, my favorite meme that I saw today was, you know, we own 2019 an apology because we kept saying like, oh, it was a horrible year. We can't wait for 2020, and then 2020 came. Right, everybody's no like, kidding. we need to apologize to 2019, and they're like, and apologize to 2020 because we do not need this in 2021. <laughs> well, here's all I am saying is that uh, right now. 2019 is like calm it, well mild <laughs> i will joke is it's like uh an x right that after a while you start wondering if they weren't crazy uh because <laughs> all x's are crazy oh that's, that's the true definition, i was right? like where are you going with this i was thinking like literally an x mark like on the calendar no like, like the like the person boyfriend or girlfriend to, yeah, exactly oh, okay. the the your, your ex significant other there's a reason they're an x right right and so uh if you think about 2020, I'm really hoping we don't ever look back and start to romanticize it as it wasn't so bad because that means, oh, my, <laughs> when, <laughs> oh. When, that's like let's you say, well, what how bad how much worse can it get? And and I'm just waiting for 2020 2021 says, hold my beer. Right. Like, I, oh, geez. The thing that always gets me every year, which I understand the mental strategy behind it, but when people somehow think when it goes from December 31st to January 1st. That it's a clean slate. Like, it's still another day in the week. The dishes are still the same dishes you use. They're still in the sink. Like, nothing has really changed that much. Not that it's not a chance to reset your goals for the year, maybe. But, I mean, it's... Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's just... It's not like, oh, I pushed the reset button. And all of a sudden, like, the world is happy again and everything's normal. Because it's January 1st. Well, and I wonder why do we as investors so want to use the calendar to measure success, right? As if... You you know how many people walk in the door at the first of the year, and all of a sudden you started investing on January first, and on December thirty first we must take an account. Yeah, well, first of all, nobody because we're not open on January thirty or January first anyway. Right? <laughs> but, but the idea that a twelve month calendar year is somehow the appropriate way to track your investment performance is a myth, right? It's well perpetuated by the mutual fund industry. Because That's true. they literally will do what is called window dressing. It's the idea that you try to make the performance numbers look good because the way people research is they look for calendar year returns for each year. And then they look at year to date returns. And that's how you use your database to sort and filter. So if you want to look good in the database, you better find ways to match the, make the numbers yeah. look good. So. Uh, for example, a dividend distribution for a fund will lower the price. Okay, right? so for people that are just listening who maybe not be f- super familiar with financial jargon, uh, what is a dividend? Okay, so a 
publicly traded company has shareholders. And for example, I am a shareholder in Nike. Right. So if Nike, you're that means you're an owner. I'm, an, you I'm an a part owner because right? I like gave a, the company my money to help invest, to help the company grow no, and do things. No, you did not. I did you, not. You did not. You purchased shares of the company with your money and you became an equity owner. No different than the equity you have in your house. There you go. Right. And so all of the other owners have stock in the company that's their equity stake so there you're you go. you're a co-owner i'm a co-owner okay uh the company will they can get, take loan proceeds or they take the profits from sales or lots of other places that they gather the money and they use that to go invest but right now unless they're issuing new shares to raise capital you're buying the shares right and so the so you're buying them in the secondary market. That's why it's not buying an original issue of Nike stock where they're trading their stock for capital access, right? Got their it. initial issue, yes, but you're I'm buying, buying a secondary. I'm buying market. a share off of somebody else who already bought it. Right. So Nike has already raised the capital. Now what's happening is the value of the company based on the business decisions they make is improving. Their profits get better. And these are all, like, this is just for an example's sake so that you understand it. And yes. it's not just explaining the definition. So if Nike has profits, okay. Which we're do, hoping they do as an investor, right? If you're an investor, you hope they have profit. Right. But how do you as an investor capitalize? You have one of two ways. Okay. Okay. You can either sell the stock that you purchased for a higher price than you bought it for. Okay. Okay. That is. Option one making a profit we would call that a gain okay okay the other is that the company has profits above and beyond expenses well that's what profits are by definition i suppose it has revenues and then it has expenses and what's left is profit and if it doesn't retain those earnings in the company and use it to purchase more stuff to grow it will distribute those profits back to, to the shareholders shareholders and the distribution is called a dividend there you go. And is it dividend taxable? It is. Okay. And is it taxed at income levels? Yes. Typically, it is included as taxable income to okay. the investor. So so there's moving parts to being an investor. It's not just, oh, I bought this stock and that's right. it. And so this is the difference between capital appreciation, which is the gains that you're seeking, and income, which is the dividends. Okay. okay? And we're talking about equities, right? Uh, bonds work differently. Bonds are loans. So, ah. so, so, a, a, and they're different capital structure and all that. But that's not what I'm. The point is that back to the mutual fund, right? The mutual fund can, when it collects all the dividends that it's getting paid out from all the different companies that it owns, because mutual funds own lots of companies usually. When the timing of when they choose to distribute those dividends to the shareholders of the fund matters, because once the cash is distributed from the fund. It lowers the value because it's no longer part of the calculation. The cash has been removed from the company and paid out. So you can't count on it. It's and it's so when a dividend is declared by a company, it's there's a date that if you own the shares, you get the dividend. And that's called the there's the 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 ex dividend date is the important one. So what happens is if you buy a stock before the date that the dividend is declared you can you're going to get it but after the ex dividend date you can buy that stock even though the dividend hasn't been paid out it was declared and after this date if you buy the stock you don't get the dividend 
Now, is it prorated based on how long you've nope. owned the stock? Nope. It's just if, you if either you have buy, it or you don't. If I bought the stock today and tomorrow they announced a dividend, you get I it. just get a dividend. That's not necessarily good for me as an investor because the share price theoretically will just drop, went down. Will drop by the amount of the dividend, and I just got a taxable event, and dividends are taxed as income rather than gains, and long-term capital gains presently in the current tax system are cheaper than short-term income taxes. And income taxes, yeah. Right? Okay. So so if I buy an investment and they immediately flip it back to me in the form of a dividend distribution, in effect, I just bought a tax burden. Well, that sucks. It does suck. So so, you, so as investors, you want to know when, it, when a stock or a, or a mutual fund is likely to go ex-dividend because you'd buy it after that. And are those things that the investment committee looks at? Sure. Okay. I, I mean, I'm just asking, like, yeah. how how important is that really in the grand scheme of things? Uh, On a scale of one to ten, how important is that? Is it like a two? Uh, it's like, I, well, we I like to know it, but it's not a huge factor I, if it's a solid I, company. I don't think I would rank it that way. I would rank it more like... Uh, like it's just part of the equation? What's the percentage of the influence? You say it might have a 10% influence on your return for the year. Okay. Right? So if you're going to make 10%, but you instead have bad dividend decisions, it could cost you 10%. So you may only make nine. Okay. That's, that That is material over the course of a year. If, if you right. Think about no, it. I mean, I'm just I'm just saying because there's, you know, as an advisor, there's constantly all these moving parts that you're mm -hmm. looking at. So I'm just wondering yeah, how that plays. Them. Huh? We look at them. No, it, it, I mean, it's a legit question, right? <laughs> right like, right. Do you look at them? And yeah. there you go, folks. He yeah. does. So it's it's part of the the larger equation. But my bigger point to all of this was you. Why a calendar on, year? Well, yeah. yeah, why the calendar year? Because investment performance really should be measured over an appropriate time horizon. So let's, I want to talk a little bit about the time horizon conundrum, if you will, like why we don't care. Like why should you care less about the calendar year than about the time horizon of your investment? And I was going to say we should cut to a break, but I can see Dale's actually not even in the <laughs> – so he'll be back and in like – so how much longer can I tease it, right? So now he's running all the way across the building because he goes, oh, crap, I heard David say break. Yeah. So <laughs> here's, here's what we'll do. He just okay? lit his ears on fire. <laughs> on, the, on the flip side of this, I'm going to talk to you about the let, if we abandon the calendar year, what can we use instead that can make us more accurate as investors? But we'll, we'll take our break first. Cue. Nailed it. Okay, there we go. <laughs> All right, gang. So stick around. We'll be right back. Uh, until then, enjoy these very important messages from people that are at least sponsoring the radio station. So uh, that and more when we come back. This is David Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. Hey gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. I am your host, Dave Littlejohn, in studio with me today. This is Katie Shook. We have been talking about all kinds of, uh, well, we launched the show with a bunch of silly, and if you're just catching us, uh, make sure to grab the podcast and you can get caught up. Uh, that's available at littlejohnfs.com. But the key question that we hung our Cape Crusaders with at the break <laughs> was... Why the calendar year why for do measuring we me performance? Yeah, why do we measure against a calendar year? So should we measure measure against measure measure? You like that word measure? Should I we do. measure 
against a fiscal year instead? Like I don't care. Why, I mean, is why that, fiscal year? Why a year? I, well, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. So what so, would you? What kind of measuring stick would you use? Well, let me turn this around for a minute, and we're going to use a little bit of a Socratic method here. Oh, I like it. Okay, so how would you personally determine whether or not your investments were working the way you wanted them to? How would I determine whether or not my investments were working? Right. Um, I would be looking at my overall returns. I guess compared to what the market's doing. Okay, so so let's, like, let so me, let me, so let me if, help if, a little bit, right? Okay. I'm going to frame this a little more for you. Let's suggest first that let's you role play. Are let's, not, let me just be ex-client. Yeah. So you're no longer going to be buying stocks in the stock market. You're going to be buying a piece of real estate. It's a rental home. Okay. okay? And so you have put the appropriate 25% or so down payment into the thing. It is rented with great tenants and it is properly paying its way via mortgage. So it is, it's doing everything you hope that this property should do. Um, how are you going to measure whether or not this is a good investment? Whether or not I'm profitable. Okay, so are you profitable? If I did my math right, so if I rented it okay. for I mean, more... like it pays exactly what the mortgage is, right? So you have no free cash flow from this other than to cover the exact expenses of the property. It, pays, it throws off no income, income to you. It simply pays its own way. I would say if I were to do an investment that way that I would have evaluated those risks going into it because my concern on an investment like that would be if my tenants left... Right. then I now have not built a nest egg to protect myself for the so months of I, I'm playing thing. a different game with for, for a reason, okay? Um, let's just assume that all of the variables for maintenance, vacancy, taxes, and so forth have been accommodated in the rent price, but that at the end, that nest egg is exactly enough to cover the operating costs of your rental, but there's no free cash flow for you. So then my other question would be, am I buying a rental in an area where I anticipate that the value of the home is going to go up? Yes. Right. So I'm looking at the long term, um, I guess, what acceleration? That's not the right word of the appreciation. Of, appreciation. Thank you. I knew it was an A word somewhere there. <clears throat> long term appreciation of the home in the area that it is. Right. Because I'd be willing to take a net zero for a short term, knowing that my long term property would be climbing in value. Okay. And so over the next 10 years, what, let's say you purchase this rental property, and I'll just ground it in relatively modern terms. Let's say it was a $200,000 rental. Okay. And let's say that it was $1,000 a month of total expenses for this rental based on current interest rates, and they're locked in. So, so it's sounds about right. Okay. You had to put 25% into it. So you had to put $50,000 into this investment. Okay. Okay, and you have a two hundred thousand dollar home with fifty thousand of equity, and it has been rented now for ten years and paid its own way, but you've never taken a penny out. What do you need to be able to sell that home for in order for you to consider it a profitable investment? Okay, we can't. Yeah, we can't. It's, it's no, 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 no. So now yeah. I'm like, huh. I will fill the dead space on the radio. No, like. no, no. Okay, so what would I need to sell it for? No, well, because I'm now I'm looking at different variables. So I'm assuming that well, first of all, I'd want to sell it for more than I purchased it. Yes. Okay, and 
if so talk to me about the variables you're considering okay so and the vari- just so you know i will not quiz you on air about the math that's not the point no no i no. want you to talk to our listeners about what do the you thought process right yes. so like so the first thing is i would i would think after 10 years that the value of the home should be somewhere between 250 and 300,000 so i'm looking for some kind of climb in appreciation right i'm thinking okay, okay well so that just just so we math that out that's roughly a 25% increase in value over 10 years and if we did really basic math on that and didn't and didn't compound the growth we just said that's around a 2.5% annualized rate of return if you just made that profit right, right? $50,000 so it went from 250 or 200,000 200. to 250 if it goes from 250 to 3 that's a 50% profit so it's between 25 and 50% profit right so i'm, I'm looking for some profit on the overall thing um also i i've now built up a ton of equity in the home right because my tenant has now been paying my mortgage so what i owe on it is a lot less than what i originally mortgaged so i naturally have more equity in the mm-hmm. company itself um so the question I would have is, is it worth it to actually sell it or is it worth it to kind of pull some equity out and try to do it again with another property? I mean, those would be the, the yeah. questions that I would be evaluating. We're probably getting in the weeds on that one. Yeah. But, so but so I guess where are you going with this? What kind of things yeah, are you yeah, trying me, to figure out? Let me help. And I'm, I want to do this for our listeners, too, because uh, you're you're correct that all of those are strategic questions you need to be asking yourself, because what you've just did was the tenant. You never took cash out of the investment. There was no dividend or similar income stream for you. No. However, the property carried its own water. Right. And I wasn't losing money, so gained, I'm okay there. You gained equity and the property appreciated in value. So your total amount of equity increased over that period of time. So let's just keep it really low key. So let's say it goes from 200,000 to 250. You made 50,000 of appreciation right. and the tenants paid $50,000 off right so i only owe 100 but now it's worth 250 right so so my 50,000 that i originally put down is now worth 150,000 consider realtor fees or anything like that no 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 but simple math if you sold it you'd have $150,000 of profit on a $50,000 investment or 100,000 of profit on a $50,000 investment so so i've doubled my money yeah so you would have doubled your money and if we calculated that out if you doubled your money well actually twice 50,000 became 150,000 right so you, you you made the first fifty thousand was doubling it. The second fifty thousand was doubling the original again. Yes. Okay. okay. So you know fifty to going to one hundred and fifty is not a fifty percent return. It's not a hundred percent return. It's a two hundred percent return on fifty thousand. Okay. Right. So in that case, uh, if you divided that out over ten years, that's a great return. Right. Right. And so you'd say, okay, well, what was your first year return? Nothing. If you'd have forced yourself to sell it in the first year, it was negligible, right? right? It took 10 years. And so your investment uh, success I see where you're going. is measured So now you're talking about time, time horizon, yeah. And there was a strategy. That's the part that I'm trying to help folks recognize is like the, the strategy part of what you were doing was like, well, I knew it was a longer term play for it to manifest. When we talk about investing in the stock market, folks really get short term itis. And, and they get calendaritis thinking, well, I need to measure 2020 as a year. So, well, what if you just measured November? It was the best month in the oh. market since 1987. No way. No, total way. November was the <laughs> best single month of returns for the uh, major indexes. And I believe the Dow is the specific one here. The best return since 1987. So that's very interesting you say that. So basically, if you would have put money in around Halloween, 
you would have seen and invested money in around Halloween. You would have had like a great month. Worth of returns. (laughs) If 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 the typical annualized return for a stock portfolio is ten percent, you would have exceeded a year's worth of uh, typical returns in one month. Now here's where hindsight is twenty twenty. People were scared about the election, right? And they were asking to get pulled into cash. So had they had left it and ridden the wave. It could have had more returns, but who knew that it was going to turn out that way? Well, that's invariably that's what happens, and this is where people will make the case that long term, or uh, that they knew something, it's, it's, or there's like I told you so yeah, on you both wanna, sides. You, wanna, you can't be <laughs> if you're not in the market, you can't get market returns. That I mean, right? There you, you go. You can get market like returns, but you're not going to get the returns of the market if you're not invested in the market. Right. So. I always ask people, you know, are you trying to be a trader first or an investor first? Because investors, uh, if see the long term game, yeah, and and the investors are looking for reasons to be in, not looking for reasons to, to be, be out. out. So, those are uh, different approaches to how one can invest. So, I I suggest to people first off, uh, if you're investing without a strategy, or a plan, or an like any kind of future expectation then expect whatever you get. Well, and I'd right? say if you don't know your strategy or understand it, reach out to your financial advisor and clarify. And if you don't have a financial advisor, first I would say, hey, give us a call. But if not that, look, let's say you got a 401k plan. Okay, It may be that your time horizon is 30 years. And so all you really want to do is get- Pile as, money in the bucket as, yeah, as fast like, as you well, can and make good investments. So what you then have is a risk profile. Okay, you can say, I'm willing to take this amount of risk as an investor. And so you choose your appropriate benchmark based on your risk. So, look, if I'm a high risk investor, I'm going to be comparing myself to high risk stocks. Okay, I'm not going to compare myself to a global mix of stocks and bonds if all I'm investing in is tech companies. Okay. Like that's the dumb comparison. Can you repeat that, please? Because I feel like that has been the elephant in the room for like the last month and a half. Well, that's been the elephant in the room for 2020 is large tech companies have been really, really rewarded in an environment where half the world was shut down by the government. The half that wasn't happened to be large tech companies. So as investment, they were huge benefactors to the 2020 backdrop. And they also became really disproportionate weightings in most of the major indexes. So the stock indexes have gone up as a beneficiary of large tech going up. But that doesn't mean that everybody in the S&P 500 went up together. The entire, there's half of the spectrum, like dividend paying stocks and what are traditionally called uh, value stocks have underperformed the rest of the market. In fact, some of those categorically are still negative for the year. And so it's it's easy to look at it and say, well, gosh, if you're in a tech company, you should have profits this year. But if you're in a broadly diversified portfolio that has stocks and bonds and other alternatives in it, you may have radically underperformed the S&P as a benchmark. But you're not investing like the S&P. But that's like comparing a moped to a Lamborghini. Like you can't compare no, the two and go, why uh, don't they look the same? Or why don't they act the same? Because they're not the same thing. I'm not even going to go to the extent of saying it's... It's like that. I'm going to suggest, for, forget the idea that it's a, a moped or a Lamborghini. That's the wrong comparison. It's just a different thing, okay? Because you know what? If large tech a is a moped sinking, and a Lamborghini, well, are different things. <laughs> I'll say though, but they but, may have wheels, but they're well, the, totally the implication different. is that one's fast and one's not, okay? And the reality is, large tech was fast this year, so it's this year's Lamborghini, but it could be next year's Titanic. Yeah. 
So it's, it could be, be the moped with Nas and the Lamborghini without wheels. You never know. <laughs> we are going to beat this analogy into the dirt. Gotcha. Uh, so, I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm not, not going to let I that like one go. I like visuals. I'm a visual person. You need to create a visual picture for me. Well, uh, what I don't want is for people to get misinterpret the idea that large tech is always the winner. It's not. Okay. It's not always the winner at all. Nope. And so that that's my bigger concern is that if, if you're out there hearing this and thinking, oh, well, I want to own Lamborghinis. It's like, well, there are years when bonds have been the best performing asset class. That's historically the conservative play. True. It's still on all the quizzes. What yeah. bond would you pick? And I'm like, none. <laughs> right. And and so it, it, it just, the context is so, so important. Yeah, it's so important. So important. And so that's part of the, the measurement. I know I've been beating this drum a lot, but it's because we're getting to the end of the year. Like last week, we talked about what's the right benchmark, okay? Uh, or a week before that. So I know it's come up on the show a few times now. Uh, it's, it's because when you have a month like November, all of a sudden, uh, people's risk tolerance starts to change to like, well, you know, I thought I was conservative, but maybe I'm not. It's like, well, you're conservative when you're scared and you're aggressive when you're not scared. So the strategy matters. Get a good strategy and then utilize that strategy rather than your emotions to make your, your investment decisions. And then compare your performance to whether or not it's meeting your mission objective, right? Right. It, it turns out if you're trying to drive to uh, New York from Oregon, I don't know why you do that, but if you were going to. <laughs> People do. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a road trip person. Okay. Sorry, guys. But if you want to do that and you find yourself in Florida, okay, that wasn't a success. But if you just made really good time getting to Florida, somebody could say, well, we didn't get where we wanted, but we made great time. <laughs> okay. And, and but as we're investor, still not where we wanted. As investors, that's the thing is, well, you know, I don't know where we're going, but we're, but we're making great time. Okay. Well, figure out where you're going. I like it. Okay, so that that's a biggie is that if you want to figure out your investment, stop worrying about the calendar year. Start worrying about what your mission profile is and what you expect. If you need to make 7 8% per year in order to make it happen and you make 20% this year, high five. You just got a bonus, but yeah, don't think so, it's going to happen every year. And well, be happy that you got the bonus because it'll make up for the year you make six. Exactly. And also, don't let it take your eye off the ball. Okay. Uh, the, 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 the final thought of this segment is simply that – if you did have a 20% year and it, and you were expecting eight and all of a sudden you change to a new index because you're like, well, I had 20%, but you know what? This other index, large tech made 25%. Why is it Why always grass that? is greener? That's the key is Ugh. as the disciplined investor is looking at more than the last three months and more than the last 12. So you want to look at the strategy and you want to look at how your investments perform over time and make sure that they're working and i would i would suggest that if your financial professional in your life is uh steering you toward benchmarking everything uh, over the last three months instead of looking at longer term time horizons as well then be careful because you can live and die by the sort of performance, but you can also make really silly decisions, which is where most investors harm themselves is you make decisions with poor timing because they're emotionally driven and that's where it harms you. So let's avoid that and then let's grab a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about 2021 and how we're going to manage some of our expectations going into that and how you can build their expectations for measuring that and more when we come back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Katie Shook. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN.
All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. By the way, I'm a little jealous right now. David went for a cool little haircut, so now I feel like you look really pretty, and I'm worn out today, which is not fair. We have to be equally pretty when we come on the radio show. I see. Well, I'm as pretty as the radio requires. <laughs> <laughs> That's how that works. So right now, uh, our, our, to our listeners, they don't know, is he big or small or oh, wide no, or tall Oh, no, they have totally or... Facebook stalked you and, like, website stalked you. They know exactly what you look like. Okay. Well, some of them do it. And some of them, they're still like, I don't know. I think in, his, in my mind, he looks like this. And then they're like, whoa, that that is not what I saw coming at all. Nobody. No, I have never heard that about you. Oh, well, just wait. Oh, stop. <laughs> we are always our worst critic, aren't we? Like, we always think there's something that needs oh, to be that's, fixed. That's and... not critic at all. That's just, you know, I'd rather set the bar low there. <laughs> Let me tell you, like, under promise and over deliver <laughs> should be the one of the mantras. I think that's rule number six on the list, right? Right. So, is that, is that we, one of our laws? There's We're an internal there. list of rules, and they're, they're silly and yet they're important because to, to everybody on the team, there are these these little things. Like I always giggle about – now I'm talking about Little John Financial for a minute. Uh, I know we're going to go on to the – what we the picked stick. up from We're going to talk about the yardstick. Yeah, but uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I chuckle a little bit every time I get on the, the airlines, right? And there's sometimes good experiences, but oftentimes there's these mistakes. And here's the way I sum it up. Uh, in the airline, they'll if a flight gets canceled, they sort of dump it in your lap to fix it, right? Oh, everything got screwed up. So you're going to have to go to a website and call people, and you're going to have to jump through hoops to fix this problem that we made for you. And when that happens, it irritates me to no end as the consumer. But then as a business owner, I chuckle a little bit and go, aha. Because one of the things that I stress all the time is that our job is to do the heavy lifting for our clients all the way down to I try to avoid having people even complete paperwork. Right. And well, I should say, Katie, you do a really good job. <laughs> By the way, that is a checks and balances for me, because then what ends up happening is usually I can guarantee that it gets processed right the first time and not rejected 12 times because someone didn't check a box or didn't know what they were doing. Right. So, so but it's more but, errors problems. But well, yes. you say you may say that, but I look at it as are, when you're in the client service arena, which is effectively what we are, financial right. services, right. right, that you have to serve. And so when another company in the service industry makes a mistake, by comparison, they just lowers the bar of expectation. Right. And I like to try to raise the bar. Uh, I say try because um, while they are rare, we have folks in the community that, you know, the stars aligned in the wrong way and it was a frustration. That's because it's a human business. And so that you said something to me a long time ago, and it's it's something that's really stuck with me and something I kind of preach now to other businesses is it's managing people's expectations. Yes. Right. It's like people can handle when things go wrong, as long as a like people fess up to it. I think nobody likes being lied to. It's like, you know, you goof, just admit it and fix it. Like there's a usually a lot of grace as long as someone is made whole somehow. Right. I mean, I, I feel that way. I'm like, if you've wronged me, just fix it. Just, yeah. just fix it. Just make me whole. Like I don't, I don't need more. I don't need less. Just at least right. show me that you're trying to fix it. Right. And I think that's something that is not taught a lot actually in business 
Like, A, owning your mistakes, and B, go out of your way to fix it. Like, you did it. Fix it. Yeah. And I don't know if that's a business thing or just a, in general, the way life works thing. Some folks, they just don't want to apologize and they don't want to admit they're wrong. And I'm not above, like, if, if I'm wrong, I'll just own it. Yeah. And, by the way, nobody ever likes admitting they're wrong. Let's yeah, be honest I mean, I don't that. like it either. And, you know, and I'm, nobody ever likes I that. I am gifted at rationalizing why I wasn't wrong. <laughs> Uh, it doesn't mean I wasn't wrong, though. So yeah, that's that goes the, along with the saying, I'm not always right, but I'm never wrong. Oh, that's not true. There are times when I'm wrong. And if I if it turns out that's the case, I will do my best to just own it. And and that'll be that. But uh, the, so why the were you is, bringing up our laws about our, co our company? Which is oh, kind of just the rules because of the whole customer service aspect. It makes me chuckle uh, as I was thinking of what was one of the you said something. And I was like, oh, I should add that to the rules. So. Uh, I don't remember what the comment was now, but again, uh, way off base here. When we were speaking last, look, we, we talked a little bit today on the show already about how folks sort of develop arbitrary measurements for investment success. Right. Okay. And a lot of it becomes a comparison to something else. This is so dangerous in the world. It's either the keep up with the Joneses or somebody else should pay their fair share or uh, there's the group project and you know who's doing what. So you know, there's there's lots of ways this gets measured, right? I don't know if you've ever experienced this with your children, but this is this actually goes to investors too, right? I can pick up a child and I go, oh, how was your day? And they're like, oh my gosh, I had this great day and everything was great. And then I pick up the second kid and put him in my car and I go, how was your day? And they go, oh, my day was great. All of a sudden, the first kid's upset that their day wasn't better. Like they were totally fine until they thought somebody got a better something than they did. Sure. And I feel like sometimes investors do that. Like they were totally fine with their strategy. They were totally fine with their investments and their return until they heard their neighbor or their friend go, oh, I got something higher than you did. And now they're like, well, wait, what? Why didn't I get the higher? Even though it may not be your strategy, it may not be your risk tolerance, you may not have entered into them. I mean, there's so many variables on right, why they're right. not equal. And yet we feel jaded somehow as a society. Like, oh, we somehow got wronged. And it's like, you weren't wrong. You got what you asked for. And yet you're still unhappy. Could you speak to that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> well, Because it happens. Because it, that happens. This is, I, I think there's just something about the keep up with the Joneses mentality. And we culturally sort of create that. Uh, a lot of marketing organizations drive you to think that you know my life is somehow com incomplete without the stuff without the latest fashion without the newest vehicle and and they show these lives of people that look like they just their life looks so good i mean you think about the the magazine spread and it's like the the fit good looking couple on the beach and the sand and the water's blue and the sky is blue and you just think i want to be there i want to be that their life looks perfect and then they tell you something like you know Go. I haven't eaten carbs in three years, well, and I work and out five a, hours a day. You know, go visit. The, it's it's like my life is not gonna is not complete without the thing that they have, right? You know, they're they're advertising like watches or something. It's like you're on a beach advertising a wristwatch. You know, come buy a Rolex or something, and you know a, a multi thousand dollar timepiece. I'm like, it doesn't keep time better. In fact, sometimes it keeps time worse than other things it's completely a conspicuous consumption purchase right and and yet we create the need right like or we manufacture the desire and then people interpret it as a need even though it's not a need well and what's fascinating is you know it, i have met quite a few people who are deemed millionaires and yet you wouldn't know it they still shop at walmart they still drive used cars 
Like well, that's you, part of how you become a millionaire is good financial behavior. But but it's not what the public displays as what a millionaire looks like. Right. And that's kind of my point. Like these are normal people that live in Roseburg that are millionaires, and yet you wouldn't know it. There's nothing about them that's flashy or showy. What you know, what advertising preaches to you, a millionaire looks like. Right. Just backing up your thing. That's all. There you go. So. So what kind of yardstick should we measure with? <laughs> well. I think it comes back to the very first thing you said about customer service, right? This expectation management is first you need to set an expectation. So the yardstick is how you're going to measure an expectation. But the key is define it in advance, right? That's the part that I think people fail at is what's your expected returns beforehand, not after. You know, driving after the fact, you can look at something and say, woulda, shoulda, coulda. Right. Right. I mean, how many people I we've I tease about it on the show because I've said the stock is radioactive. I'm not making a recommendation here when I say this. Katie, what stock have I said repeatedly is radioactive? <laughs> Tesla. Tesla. Right. <laughs> Tesla as a company. Tesla is, makes David bang his head against the wall. He just does I, not I understand not it. it. <laughs> I had a handful of clients that called me and said, I want it. And they overrode the decision and they, they got it and they've made big money on the thing. And I look at it and I just it just confounds me because I see a company that while it is growing is, in my opinion, primarily fueled by government incentives and it's the cool factor and it gets a bunch of media and Elon Musk is terribly interesting for the media to follow too. So as a result, they get all this press and all these investors looking at him. And then you see like a, the new app Robinhood that shows up and a bunch of people pile in and it gets so big. They're literally going to add it to the S&P 500 index mid uh, on, I think, the 21st of this month. And when they do, it the market capitalization of that stock is so out of whack. And I say it's out of whack because it doesn't earn much. And Isn't yet, it upside down? Isn't it like not earning anything? Well, I think if you take the government incentives out, it's not earning anything. But if even if it's earning a tiny bit, the price to earnings multiple was like well over a thousand. And now it's going to be forced into an index based on its market cap. And it's going to, you know billions billions more are going to have to be bought in order to get it into all these index funds because it's a formula and so it may right again not a recommendation it may drive it even higher and, it's, and i it's say it's just totally crazy. radioactive because i'm like what do you want me to do this it, it's on paper it's it's the bigger fool theory it's not making money and it's impossible for it to really grow into its valuation and look like any other stock so what does it have to do to justify that multiple? Right now, it's you buy it because somebody else is willing to buy it from you for even higher. And that's not an investment anymore, hence the radioactive. Okay, so yes, Tesla- Isn't that speculation? Or what? Oh, it's well past speculation. At this point, it's the bigger <laughs> fool theory, right? This is real estate in 2006. Yeah, it was like, I'm going to buy it now, and I'm going to dump it 30 days later for more. And everybody goes, okay, I'm going to keep buying it and dumping it for more until there are a handful of people left yeah. not so, able to sell. So we have to establish the expectations in advance. How do we do it? How do we do we, it? We take our last break, and then when we come back, I won't I won't mess around. I'll go straight to how do we do this, but we got to take our last break. So stick around. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn. And Katie Shook. We got True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN.
Hey, gang, welcome back to The True Well Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio. With Katie Sheck. You know, the time just goes by faster and faster on the show. Yes, it's like the end of a roll of toilet paper. <laughs> okay, we're not going to go there because we will talk about toilet paper for 10 minutes. So how do we measure performance? How right, do you, so, we've been talking about a yardstick. We've been talking about measurement. How should we yeah. measure things? Well, we've been talking I mean, about... And it all started with why do people use a year? And then we talked about... Uh, some other examples that were more naturally long-term, right? right? So real estate, people tend to just naturally frame it longer. Like if you buy a house and you live in it, you expect that I'm going to sell it years later. And so you don't measure the day-to-day -day price movement, okay? And a lot of investors, many of you are listening, and you're like, I don't measure the day-to-day. -day. In fact, I don't even open my statements. And I go, well, okay, that's kind of traditional investing. You've got a long time horizon. But if you are going to measure performance, which I actually think you should, I think you should track it because you want to make sure that you're still – investing appropriately for what your expectations are, but it means you have to establish expectations. Right. Okay. So how should you do that? Okay. And there are a few things I would suggest. The first thing is you need to figure out probably three, four big pillars. Okay. Ooh, okay. Let's okay. go with these. So the, one of them has to be time horizon. That is, that is a huge one is what is your investment time horizon? If it's less than two years, it's hard for me to even call it an investment. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's where it, like, I need the money to spend on something. It's earmarked in less than two years. Then it's really hard. It's like you need well, to be somewhere pretty darn. Well, it's scary for an advisor darn... because then you're like, I don't want to blow it up well, and it give risk, you less money yeah, later. The risk and... is not worth, it. In, in my opinion, you can't take enough risk. And the fixed income markets and the bank instruments are just so low yielding. There's not a lot of places you can go right, where like you're going to you squeeze much any, out. Yeah, you can't get any savings. Because cause if you go through a COVID event and all of a sudden you lose 15% of your money, then you could be unable to have enough to do what, do you, what you were do. earmarked for right. in that time frame. So you're not, it's tough to invest with that short of time And that's horizon. the thing that the advisors are scared of. Yeah. But okay, so, so time horizon is super important. Time horizon is one of the first pillars. The risk next tolerance? One, risk tolerance is a big pillar. Now that's, risk tolerance is financial speak for how much acceptable variability in your volatility yeah it, it, it's it's volatility but it's the up and down swings in your account so if you had a $10,000 investment how low can it go and how i mean i don't care how high it goes right i can make more for you and you'll be okay like oh my gosh i can't believe you made so much money no you will you'll never say that you'll just be like yeah i don't cool. remember any advisor ever getting fired for making too much money right but if a $10,000 can it can it go to 9,000 is that enough you know like well okay that's investing sometimes the markets go down how about 8,000 how about 7 how about 5 you know what's the number where you go this isn't an investment anymore i yeah. can't do this what's the number when you go i'm out i'm sitting on the bench so so that's a huge one is your risk tolerance. But there's another one, right? What's the objective? Okay. What are you looking for this money to do? Are you considering that the strategy? So the strategy is how you meet the objective, okay. right? So if, 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 you're, if your objective was to rescue hostages, then you develop a, a mission profile <laughs> and a game plan and you, that's your strategy is who you send in to do it. I'm not holding my money hostage. Okay. Well, but if, if your money has a job, what's the objective? It's like, hey, I want to be retired one day. Good. We need to know what retirement generally looks like and when that's supposed to occur. And what are the assets that we're working with yeah so by the way like time, that cash yardstick, flow taxes etc that yardstick keeps moving too because the longer i work here and the older i get the more i realize i need a lot more in retirement than yeah. i thought i did <laughs> well it, you know it's all about recognizing and and this is just the the game plan the strategy is right. to meet the objective so you've got your time horizon your risk profile and then your objective 
All right, okay. what's the fourth pillar? So the, the fourth pillar is really more about just keeping track of those, right? When you've got those three big ones, then the rest of it is the follow-up, right? That's the fourth pillar is keep track of your strategy, okay? If you need to make adjustments, because there are things that do change. Yeah, uh, family so, situations, marriages, yes. children, divorces. Taxes. Death, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of elements at play here. And so what I, I ultimately suggest that any investor should have at least a rough plan that's what the objective is. The objective is what you're you're trying to achieve and then the plan, right? So if you had the fourth pillar, it's the plan, which is what's the context that all this needs to work within. Okay. okay. And that could be as much as my plan is I need to save this much per month and then in in a year I need to look at how much I've saved and what the value of the account is and either adjust my rate of savings or my my rate of investment strategy or both. To, to get to that target. So okay. so there's your four big pillars. Time horizon Okay. And investment objective, risk tolerance, and then the, the plan or the strategy. Okay. So th those are going to be your, your biggies. If you get those, then the rest of it, you, you can, you'll know what you're measuring, right? And it won't True. be that I need to measure against an index. That's not how I determine whether or not it worked. I just needed to measure against whether or not my mission profile is going to be achieved. Right. Or my objective. Like, will, will my plan meet the objective? I got to track it. That's how we yep. do it. Will my plan work? And do I need to make adjustments? That's it. All right. So music playing. You know what that means. It's time for us to get rocking. But if you did not get everything you need, feel free to reach out to us directly by 541-375-0898. You can always email us info at littlejohnfs.com. All right. So that's the biggies. Until next time, this has been David Littlejohn. And Katie Shuck. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to True Wealth on News Radio 1240. KQEN. The preceding program was paid for by Little John Financial Services. The opinions and views expressed may not reflect those of Brook Communications, its affiliates, or its employees.